unexpected. That's our new sermon series we're in. That was not a sermon illustration. Uh, The unexpected sound system going out, in case you thought it was a cue up for the sermon here. Uh, But sometimes you're going through life, and then something unexpected happens. When I was in seminary, I had been studying in the library all day long. I was stressed out with final exams coming down the pipe. And I'd been in the library all day, and so I said, you know what, I'm just going to, I need to take a break. I need to go back, study at the house. So I'm walking from the library on campus through some gardens over to my car, checking my phone, my email, thinking about all the stuff going on in life. When all of a sudden, I hear footsteps running up behind me, I'm blindfolded, and then I'm restrained and thrown into a vehicle. And so in the vehicle, obviously, I'm, I'm very disoriented. I'm trying to figure out, okay, where am I? Where is this vehicle taking me? And in the midst of all of this chaos going on, immediately, soon after, somebody says, get out. And so I get out, the blindfold's ripped off of me, and then there's a group of people and they yell, surprise! Happy birthday! And I was at Golden Corral. A few years before that, I, and I, I didn't even remember telling them this, I had told some of my friends that I had a lifelong dream of having a surprise birthday party at Golden Corral as a kid, and my parents had never made it happen. And so that day, they decided unexpectedly to me that they would make it, it happen. And, you know, it was a little bit scary. It was unexpected, but it was a good kind of unexpected. And sometimes the things that are unexpected in our lives are good, and they bring us joy and contentment and excitement. I mean, maybe you've experienced that if... If you had somebody in your life maybe one day unexpectedly get down on one knee and propose and and, and you said, yes, it was a good kind of unexpected proposal. Or, you know, maybe your boss emailed you and said, hey, we need to talk. And you know that email. You're like, is that it? That's all you're going to tell me, right? We just need to talk. So you go to your boss's office and, and then they tell you, hey, we've had a great quarter. You've been doing awesome. Here's a bonus. It's a good kind of unexpected or you're, you're, you're going through life, you come into something new, you gain something, you find a dollar in your pocket. There's a lot of good unexpected things in life, but then there's also bad unexpected things. There's unexpected things that they don't bring with them joy, they bring with them despair, sorrow, uncertainty, fear. I told this story in a sermon a while back, but a few years ago, Emily and I were on our way to Chattanooga for her birthday. And it was a Friday afternoon. She was driving. I was in the passenger seat trying to finish my sermon before uh, before we got to the city so that I could be fully present with her. When all of a sudden something unexpected happened, we began to hydroplane on the interstate right when we were inside of Chattanooga. And then, boom, a tractor trailer hit us from behind. And you know how it is if you've been in a car accident. There's that, that that span of time where it feels like everything slows down. And then we stopped, and thankfully I was okay, and, and, and ultimately in the end, after getting her checked out, she was okay after a while in a brace. And we just stood there on the interstate looking at our luggage spewing everywhere without a ride anywhere, without a place to get from the interstate to where we were staying. It was this unexpected moment, and we were filled with uncertainty. And maybe you've had that in your life. Maybe it was the phone call that one of your loved ones had passed away. The diagnosis. 
Maybe you just thought it was just a conversation between you and the, the person you loved, and then they said they wanted it to be over. Maybe it was on Easter Sunday, like last week. I'm in the lobby in between services, and, and Gwen Martin tells me, hey, did you hear about the bombings in Sri Lanka? There's a lot of unexpected moments in our lives. Sometimes they're for good. Sometimes they're bad, and we wouldn't wish them upon anybody. We don't hope for them. We, we don't want them. We wish we could rid our life of them. We have both in our lives, and in this series, what we're going to be doing is talking about those unexpected moments and how to respond to them. We're going to be talking about how people responded to unexpected moments in the Bible. We're going to be looking at how God often uses unexpected people to work in unexpected ways and how he does unexpected good in the world. And so we're going to be on this journey together. And so I hope you'll come each week, bring a friend, and uh, we're going to be doing some unexpected things along the way in worship as well. Um, and I'll just let you know the unexpected things that we have planned are, are good things, um, good things planned. And so um, we hope you'll come, you'll, you'll check it out, um, enjoy this series as we do some different creative elements throughout it. And today, as we kick off this series, we're going to be looking at one of the most famous stories in the Bible, and that is the story of David and Goliath. We're going to be looking at the story of David and Goliath together. And now, this is a story that takes place in the Old Testament when the Israelites found themselves in the midst of an unexpected situation. And maybe you, like me, you learned about this story when, when you were a kid in, in Sunday school. And so you have like Noah, then you have David and Goliath, then you have Jesus and Paul, and you have all these different things that don't really make sense or connect to a bigger picture. So I want to catch you up a little bit on some of the background of what's going on here um, when we're reading this story, which comes to us in 1 Samuel 17. So if you have your Bible, you can open up there, a Bible app. Um, we'll, we'll have the scripture. We'll start reading it in a minute. But I want to give you some background first. So here at 1 Samuel 17, God's people have entered the promised land. They've been there for a while. And during that time, they've, they've been ruled by God and organized and kind of ruled by a series of judges. And now, the Israelite people, as they were looking out at the other groups of people around them, you know, they saw that they had some challenges coming up, and they saw that other groups of people had kings. They had earthly kings, and so they said to God, they said, hey, look, we want a king. And God's like, well, I want to be your one true king. I, I am your king, and I want to rule as your king. And they're like, no, no, we want, we want like a real king in the flesh here and now, and so God ultimately gave them what they wanted, and there was a king named Saul who was ruling over the people at this time. And every leader has their own challenges in leadership, and one of Saul's challenges was leading the Israelites in the midst of conflicts with a group of people called the Philistines. They were also in the area, they were constantly fighting and warring against each other, and so it's in the midst of this kind of conflict and Saul is king that we come to this story into a battle between the Israelites and the Philistines in chapter 17, verse 1. Here's what we read. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Socah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Socah and Azekah. And Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. 
so you kind of get the picture going on here. They're lined up for battle. The Israelites on one side, the Philistines on the other. And now before we get to this next part, something you need to know about, I mean, if you, if you think about war and battles throughout history, you know that, that they've been fought differently at different times, right? The Cold War was very different than World War II, which was very different than the Civil War. And so in this time, one of the ways that they're battling each other and war against each other is through something called representative battle. And that is where each side sends one representative to fight on behalf of the people. And so it's a one-on-one battle, and whoever's representative wins, well, their people win. They win over the people, the territory, all their stuff. But if they lose, they lose everything as well. So the stakes are very high for this one person. So then we continue in verse 4 and find that there was a champion named Goliath who was from Gath, and he came out of the Philistine camp. And his height was six cubits and a span. Other older manuscripts say four cubits and a span. So here we have Goliath. He's between six foot nine and nine feet nine tall. Okay, this is a big dude. He's a big dude. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, which is 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. And his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is 15 pounds. That's the iron point. And his shield bearer went ahead of him. And Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects." But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Right? I mean, wouldn't you be dismayed and terrified? I mean, this is a... a, this is. An unexpected situation here. This is an unexpected opponent. I mean, they were used to this kind of battle. And then they send out this huge guy named Goliath who is a champion and who is extremely tall. You have to remember, too, average Middle Eastern man during that time is probably about five foot five. So Goliath is huge. And he's not only huge, there's actually more detail given to all of the armor and everything he has, right? He has bronze armor, he has a helmet, he has a javelin, and he has an armor bearer. He has all of these entrapments for battle around him. And this is one of the reasons why the Philistines were such a formidable opponent against the Israelites is because they had mastered metalwork and working with metals and craftsmanship in a way that the Israelites hadn't at this time. So they had superior weapons. They had superior technology. They had all of these things. And Goliath is standing there, huge, in his armor, taunting them. And we find out that for 40 days, he taunted them. Every day he came out and he said, send somebody down to battle. And for 40 days, the Israelites, for fear of losing... They said, you know what, not, not yet. I don't know what they were doing, you know, like prepare, trying to prepare somebody or train or what. But for 40 days, they kept lining up. Goliath kept taunting them. And then we're going we're gonna to skip over a, a chunk here. I'm going to summarize it for you. But I encourage you to read the whole chapter uh, this week in your devotion time. But 
right after this, after Goliath is taunting everybody, then we're introduced to this character named David. And David, we find out, is the son of Jesse, and he is one of seven. And he, or he has seven older brothers, and he is the youngest. Um, so, any younger brothers here? Wow, okay. So, you know what it's like, right? You know what it's like to be a younger brother. David is a younger brother. I'm, a young, I'm the youngest brother. Um, we like to cause mischief. We like to do all this. And when our older brothers are doing cool stuff, we want to be in on it. We want to be in on the action. And so all of David's brothers, a lot of them, the older ones are at war, but David is too young to go to battle. So he stays back with his father and he's taking care of the sheep and the property in Bethlehem. So he's over there doing all of that. And then his father says, hey, I need you to go take some food to your brothers. And so, you know, he's, he's happy to do that. So he loads up the food. He goes out to the battle lines. He, he gives it to his brothers. And as he's there, like a, kind of like a nosy little brother, he's kind of like, what's going on here, guys? You know, what's, what's going on? Who is, who is this Goliath guy? And then as he's hearing about and seeing them line up, he says this. He says, who, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And as he's kind of meandering through all their stuff, his, one of his brothers comes to him and is like, what, what are you doing here? Get lost. Get lost. Get out of here. Get out of our business. Get out of our drama. You're too young to be doing all of this stuff. And so David, like a good younger brother, he gets lost, right? He kind of just moves away from his brother. He keeps milling around on the people, asking him, what's going on here with this Goliath guy? Why are people afraid? What, what, what's the deal here? And word gets to King Saul that David is asking around about Goliath. And so Saul sends to little David. And then the conversation picks up in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your, your servant, I, I will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, will he'll be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul, that's just my tone. I don't, you know, we can interpret that. <laughs> we can interpret that different ways. So then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic, and he tried walking around, but he wasn't used to them. And he said, I can't, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine, Goliath. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him and he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, 
But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. I mean, you can see why this is one of the most popular stories in the Bible ever told. I mean, it has all the great themes that we love, right? It's, it's might versus right. It, this story is so detailed. We get all of the drama and the narrative. I mean, if this was a, a motion picture, it would be an awesome, awesome movie to watch on the screen. I mean, this is a great story because... Who do we love to watch and to root for but the underdogs? And so here we have all of these elements that make this a great story. And maybe, maybe you, you've heard it preached on or you, you've heard it before. You've kind of heard different lessons on it. And there's so much depth to this story in so many different places you can go, right? You can think about Goliath and how he represents the unexpected giants in each of our lives. You can think about the Israelite people and how they responded to this giant with fear instead of faith. You think about little David who defeated Goliath with, with these inferior tools with just a sling and a stone. But this morning, I don't want to focus on any of those people. Instead, I want to focus on what God is up to in this story. I want to focus on what God is up to in this story because it's in the midst of this, of everything going on, that God does something truly unexpected. Think about it. God could have rained down fire from heaven and taken care of Goliath in an instant. God could have given the Israelites some kind of superior technology that would have enabled them to defeat Goliath very quickly on their own terms. God could have, could have sent a plague to defeat the Philistines and all those other people. But God didn't do any of that. God instead chose David to defeat Goliath. God chose someone who was unexpected. Someone who the world had labeled weak, young, inexperienced, just a kid, younger brother, he's a boy. God chose this man, this boy, David, to defeat Goliath. And why did God do that? God chose David to defeat Goliath because God loves using people the world deems weak to display his strength. God loves using people the world deems weak to display his strength. I mean, just think about this. If, if God would have given them an amazing superior weapon and technology 
that compared to what the Philistines had, when they won with that technology, what would have happened? Everybody would have said, wow, the Israelites have such great weapons. They have such great technology. If God would have given them some kind of unique battle strategy and given them wisdom about how to go behind enemy lines and ambush them, when the Israelites won, all of the other nations around would have said, wow, the Israelites are so gifted at war. They're, they're so amazing. If God would have raised up a warrior who was trained with might and with strength and with power and with a sword, then when that warrior won, all the people would have said, wow, look at that warrior. He is so skilled. He is so brave. He is a champion like Goliath. But none of that happened with David. Because when David defeated Goliath, the people knew that it wasn't his experience. The people knew that it wasn't his weapons. The people knew that it wasn't anything to do with him. They knew that it was the living God working in him and through him to defeat Goliath. And David knew the same thing. He knew that it wasn't some kind of courage that he mustered up himself. He knew that he had confidence in the living God and the living God had confidence in him and that confidence enabled him to defeat Goliath as God worked in him and through him. God loves using people the world deems weak to display his strength. And when you zoom out from this story beyond the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, you see that this isn't just like a one-time thing that happened just in this story. What we find is that actually, this is God's preferred way of working in the world. I mean, think about Jesus. When Jesus came into this world sent by God to defeat the giants that you and I couldn't defeat on our own, to defeat the giants of sin and death, who did Jesus call to come and be by his side? Who did he call to come and minister with him? Who did he teach to do miracles, teach to preach, and to do all of this great work with him? He didn't call the cultural elites. He didn't call the smartest people. He didn't do a talent search and say, who are the latest social media influencers? I need those people on my team. No, he said, I want this ragtag group of disciples. I want these guys. And then like we looked at last week, when Jesus rose from the grave, and he had to choose people to be the very first messengers that he had risen from the grave. Who did he choose? He chose a group of women. He chose women to go and to tell other people that he had risen from the dead, to go tell the disciples who were going to go tell the entire world. And guess what? During that day and time, a woman's testimony wasn't even valid in the court of law. Jesus chose people who were deemed weak by society to do his work. And as the early Christians began continuing this message, continuing the mission, continuing the miracles, people in the world didn't say, wow, look how gifted they are. Wow, look how smart they are. Wow, these people have such great strategies to transform the world. No, they said, wow, look at their God. Look at his power. Look at his strength. Look at them. This has to be God because they could never do this on their own. God loves using people the world deems weak to display his strength. And if you haven't figured it out yet, guess what? God still loves to work in that same way today. He still loves to work in that same way today. He loves using unexpected people. People like you, and like me. 
for his good work in the world. And when you think about yourself, maybe there's labels that that you've put on yourself. Maybe you've kind of disqualified yourself from being used by God and you've kind of said, you know what, I'm, I'm weak. I have anxiety. I have an addiction. My life is full of broken relationships. I've failed over and over again. When I open up the Bible, like it, it's very hard for me to read. It's, it's hard for me to pray. All of this stuff is, is hard. I have a reputation, and, and we, we label ourselves as weak and unusable by God. Other times, people in the world label us. They say, look, you're, you're too shy. You're too loud. You're too much. You're too little. You're too old. Your time has kind of come and gone. If you can just go, go on out. You're too young. Stay, stay out of sight. Don't mess with us in here. They say, you're too much of a failure. You don't know what's going on. Who would listen to you? Why would God use you with everything you've done in your life? Everything you touch, you break. You can't raise your own kids. How are you going to volunteer with the kids at church? Right? Other people label us weak and unworthy of being used by God as well. But God does something that's kind of unexpected to us. He looks at us and he says, I choose you. I choose you and I want to work in you and through you for my good and for my glory in the world. And really what God wants for us, he wants for us to be like like David. He wants for us to take what little we have, our gifts, our life experiences. He wants us to take those things Trust in him and in his power and in his strength and then offer ourselves up to be used by him. That's what David did and that's what he wants for us as well. I mean, think about it. David, all he had was a little life experience being a shepherd and a sling with five smooth stones. Actually, under, under your chair, if you look, there's a little stone. If, you'll, if you're able to bend over and grab that, if not, you can help, help, help somebody next to you. This is, what, this is what David had. A little, tiny, smooth stone that in Goliath's eyes and in the Philistines' eyes and in most people's eyes kind of seemed insignificant. They said, you go on out there, you know, we'll see what, see what happens. And I want you to take this stone and you can, you can keep this. But I want you to take this and I want you to think about this as a representation of your life. Your past experiences, the the spiritual gifts that God has given you, the resources that you have at your disposal. I want you to 
to let this represent your life and what you have. And you may feel like it's small. And maybe when you look at this rock and you think about your life, you, you think, yeah, this seems kind of insignificant. This is kind of dirty and kind of ugly. And I wouldn't have chosen this rock, you might be thinking. It's kind of misshapen, smaller than somebody else's next to me. Maybe when you look at the rock, you think, wow, this is, this is kind of pretty. This is unique. It's different than all of the other ones. This is kind of cool, right? We, we all approach our lives and what God has given us in different ways. But whether you, you view this rock, you view your life as unique and beautiful, or whether right now you feel like it's kind of ugly and, and misshapen and you wish you had something else. No matter how you feel about it, God wants to use you. He wants to use you for his good and for his glory in the world. I mean, it doesn't take five minutes to, to turn on the news or just look around the community to see that there are so many needs all around us. There are physical needs, water, shelter, health care. There are spiritual needs for faith, for hope, for love. There are places in need of truth, of justice, of holiness. I mean, many of you walked in this room right now, you're just in need of encouragement, of a smile, in need of friendships, of people who know you and who love you. There are so many, so many needs in this world. And what God wants to do is to take your life, as insignificant as it seems, and he wants you to offer it to him, to trust in his power and his glory, not in yourself. Don't have confidence in yourself. He wants you to have confidence in him and he wants to work through you to help meet those needs until he comes again in final victory and meets all needs for all time. And as we begin to do that, people, when they see God working through us, they're not gonna say, wow, you're, you're so great, you're so gifted. They're gonna say, wow, your God is so great. Your God has so many gifts. Your God has so much power. Your God is glorious. And we, like David, will become a witness to the world of the one true living God. So I want you to, as we close in prayer, I want you to keep this rock in your hand. And if you'll bow your head, I want you to just close your eyes and think about your life right now. The gifts that you've been given. The relationships you have. The abilities you have that no one else does. Your mind might be coming up shorter. You might feel like, yeah, it's not much, but that's okay. God simply wants you to take your life 
trust in him and in his power and offer it to be used by him for his good and for his glory in the world. So God, this morning we we come and we offer ourselves to you. We pray that you would help us call out the gifts and the good we see in other people and the ways that that you might be helping us see the gifts other people have. God, we pray that you would help us to receive encouragement and receive vision about how you want to use us in this world. God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see the needs around us. And God, that you would give us bold, living confidence like David had, not in our own strength, not in our own abilities, but in your strength and in your abilities. And God, we know that with you, nothing is impossible. And so we ask that you would meet each of us personally this morning, that you would encourage us, that you would do something unexpected in us, and God, you would use us to do unexpected good in the world around us. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and for this community around us. And it's in Jesus' holy name we give thanks and we pray. Amen.